Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Are you feeling flush today, ladies and gentlemen? Well, I certainly hope you are, because the Prime Minister, on the advice of his girlfriend, very possibly, is going to give the go-ahead to spend £110 billion of our money on a train service that hardly any of us will ever use to revitalise a journey that doesn't actually help anyone get anywhere but London, Birmingham or Manchester. I've got news for you, Boris. Not everybody goes to London, Birmingham or Manchester. Most people actually go to completely different places. On top of all that, Boris Johnson and wants to spend another five billion quid putting bus and cycle lanes all over the place as if that is the answer to fixing the congestion in the country where many of the roads are simply being dug up every five minutes and there's more temporary traffic lights than you can shake a stick at. So that's 115 billion pound minimum, much of which will be spent over the next 10 years and which won't deliver any benefit until at least 2030. Can you imagine the state of the roads by then? And it's a 24-carat disaster, ladies and gentlemen. It is a massive white elephant, and it is a colossal waste of our money. That's right, it is our money. Meanwhile, the House of Lords, by the way, have given themselves a nice little pay rise. Isn't life grand? 0344-499-1000. That's more money uh, out of the Exchequer for us as well. Coming up, we'll be talking about the lefty lawyers that tried to stop the government deporting a load of dangerous criminals last night, and then started claiming victory, even though they haven't won anything but the public's disdain. 0344 1000. I know you want to talk about that. Later on in the show, we'll be looking into the facial recognition pilot scheme operating today in East London. And there's more bad news for the royal family. This time, it's the Queen's favourite grandson that's getting a divorce, and his wife is possibly heading for Canada. What is it about Canada Plus that everybody wants all of a sudden? As ever, we are live streaming the show today and every day on YouTube. So go there, watch us, subscribe to us, and click us as a favourite as well. Facebook and Twitter is also available, so you can watch us as well as listening to us. And you you're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the world's fastest growing radio station. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I want to hear from lots of you this morning because I know that many of you are going to be affected uh, by HS2. Many of you already have been affected by HS2. And as for this idea to spend another five billion overhauling the bus services, now it's true that most of the bus services in this country, particularly in rural areas of this country, are completely and utterly useless, not worth um, even printing a timetable because all you need to do 
do is get the list of the number of buses running and it's never more than two or three. Uh, but wherever you are living, I want to know what the local bus service is like. I want to know how bad it is. And I want you to call me. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Right now, let's talk to Bobby Friedman uh, because the amazing story broke last night. Uh, and it broke to me uh, by the way of a woman called Bella Sankey. And Bella Sankey is Director of Detention Action, which is a human rights group, basically. The government decided, with the help of the Home Office under Pretty Patel's watch, that they should be deporting a whole host of criminals, people who had been uh, coming to this country from elsewhere, Jamaica uh, in particular, uh, committing crimes, serving time, and then as a result of a law brought in by the Labour Party in 2007, deported. Now, you would think there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely straightforward, up and down, black and white case. I'm afraid if you've served time for a serious crime, you can then be deported as a foreign national. Of course, what these lawyers are saying, and they're all lefties, of course, well, they shouldn't be allowed to be deported because they're not really from those countries. Even though they came from those countries, they came when they were very young and they should be allowed to stay here. Well, we don't really want them, thanks. We've got enough rapists and murderers of our own. Instead of importing them, let's talk to Bobby and find out what he makes of it all. Hi, Bobby. Hi, Mike. Very, very controversial case, this, for some people, but it's not very controversial for me uh, when you look at some of the serious crimes that these individuals have committed. It looks as though the flight has gone to Jamaica anyway. It's not clear how many people might have been taken off. So I think they're saying that about 17 people were on the, uh, were on the flight this morning. It was, a, it was a slightly convoluted ruling that the Court of Appeal gave. It's, it, what it effectively said, the court, was that where there was doubt about whether some of the, uh, some of the people had access to a mobile phone, uh, a working mobile phone, uh, they shouldn't be deported. And that was on the basis that the O2 network apparently wasn't working around the, deep, around the uh, detention centre. O2 network doesn't work in many places from my experience, mm. and saying that they therefore didn't have access to a lawyer. So that's not saying that they won't be deported in, in the long run. That's just about working out whether they had, had the right, they had the ability to speak to a lawyer, which is probably fair enough. And the bigger question really is about whether these people should be being deported at all. And as you say, at one end, one end of the spectrum, you have people who came here uh, from a foreign country um, at a relatively uh, significant age and have carried out pretty heinous crimes yeah. such as rape. And it's very hard to have any sympathy for these people. And you think, well, if you want to go and rape someone or, or commit very serious offences. Uh, on the other end, and this is where it does get rather more difficult, you have people who came to this country at the age of two and therefore don't know anything apart from the UK would consider themselves completely British. And in one case, for example, there's a man who at the age of 17, so when he was still a child, carried out a drugs offence. Yes, a serious drugs offence, but um, has since then been rehabilitated, stayed out, out of trouble, and yet is being sent to a country where he doesn't know, know anybody and hasn't been there as far as he remembers. But you know as well as, as I do, Bobby, that, you, you know as well as I do, Bobby, that people who go to prison for offences, particularly uh, if they're serious offences, have probably committed other offences for which they did not go to prison because you and I both know it's quite difficult to lock people up for a first offence, no matter how serious it is. Well, that, that certainly is right. Um, obviously, we don't know the, the individual cases, but you're absolutely right that it, it's, it's no mean feat to get a, a prison sentence of 12 months or, or more, which applies to all of these people. All, all of them are, are serious offences. But, as I say, I think we as society look at them differently. So, don't get me wrong, you, 
people who, who have supplied drugs uh, are people who, who have failed um, and we don't want them generally to be acting like that in society. It, it's different to people who've committed rape or murder, though. Well, I think um, so. I mean, here's the quote from Bella Sankey, right, the director of Detention Action. She says, these people are as British as Boris Johnson. That's the truth. They have families and British wives and British children who would be massively detrimentally affected by this. Well, I'll tell you who else is massively detrimentally affected by it. The people that they murdered, the people that they raped, the people that they supplied drugs to. So I'm sorry, I don't take this as any kind of means of defence. No, and I, I mean, I agree, with, I agree with you on that, Mike, and certainly in those most serious cases. As I said, I mean, I think it does get more difficult because otherwise the question is, are you punishing somebody twice? And that, that you know, I can absolutely see both sides of the argument on that because w one of the arguments might be, well, if we as a society think that if you commit a particular drug crime, uh, you should go to prison for 12 months and then you're able to be rehabilitated back into society, um, then if you then be deport someone, that is punishing them a second time. And of course, if someone comes to this country as an adult and commits a crime, then I think it's very simple because the point is you as an adult have chosen to come here. Uh, we don't want you because you've come here and, you, and you've abused that. That's, I think it's a little bit different, though, if someone did come here as a two-year-old and therefore is to all intents and purposes British, but the, but the difference is they, they happen to have committed a crime. But it, they're not British, it, are they? Because they didn't ever get British citizenship. Right, rights to remain in this country is not the same thing. That, that's absolutely right. But I think, as a matter of reality, if you have been in Britain since the age of two, yeah, put, put to one side what passport you're holding. If you've grown up in Britain, or your friends are in Britain, your family is in Britain, and you're then sent to a country where you don't know anybody, uh, you have no connections there, you have no place to live, uh, you have no network, I think that that is different. That is an additional punishment. Now, of course... So you're saying that we as a nation have a responsibility to look after anyone that comes here, whether it's legally or illegally, regardless of what kind of behaviour they then decide to, to, to behave like, regardless of what crimes they commit. I don't agree. No, well, I, I, I wouldn't agree with uh, that proposition either, Mike. I mean, I, I think, as I say, at one end of the spectrum, it's very easy, right? The older someone was when they came here and the more serious crime it is, the easier it is. I don't think anybody really has any sympathy, as I say, for, for someone who is a rapist. Yeah, but these lawyers, right, these lawyers who are fighting on behalf of these people are making a case that all of them should stay here. They're not saying some of them should, they're saying that they should all stay. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I think, I think, I think that's wrong. And ultimately, uh, when, when someone commits a significantly serious crime, you have to accept that when you are not a citizen of a country, uh, you don't have a right to stay there. Um, and that's why, and it's a Labour government policy, Labour government law uh, that has brought this in. I think, I think that's absolutely right, that when you, that when you commit a particu particularly serious crime, if, you are not, if you're not a citizen of the country, how can you expect them to stay there? It's like going round to somebody's house um, and then uh, smashing up their house and saying, oh, well, I'd like to still carry on staying here. Of course, you, you wouldn't expect that. You'll be Yeah, but that's out. exactly what happened in one particular case here. A guy by the name of Lloyd Byfield, right, who's 48 years of age, a Jamaican drug dealer, came to Britain in the year 2000, uh, was meant to then be deported after committing various crimes uh, and basically uh, convinced the court that he should be allowed to stay here because he had a wife here. He then murdered a woman uh, with a claw hammer in front of her six-year-old child. He's one of the people oh. being deported. He's one of the people these lefty lawyers think we should be looking after. Well, I don't. Oh, I know, and that's ridiculous. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's, I mean, I, absolutely, Mark. You're, you're quite right. In a case like that, it is absolutely ridiculous because... Uh, it, 
great, he's, he's got a wife here. Well, in which case, don't kill somebody with a claw hammer. Yeah, exactly. It's very simple. It's not if you difficult. Want to stay here, don't do that. that that's absolutely not difficult. It, what, what I'm saying is that I think there is, of those people on the flight, there are various extremes. And I think that, I personally think that if someone is a 17-year-old child and they commit... Uh, an offence which, yes, is a serious mistake, but ultimately, particularly if you're 17 and you've been ta- taken in by gangs and that kind of thing, it's easy to see how somebody can be led astray um, and how you can put your life right. And if you have lived here since the age of two and therefore you are, yes, you don't hold the passport, but you feel and in every other way are British, I personally think that that's the other end of the scale and, I, and I'm not comfortable with that person being deported. But compare that to someone who's come here at an older age um, who, and who's committed the kind of crimes you're saying. I really don't think that those are the kinds of people that anybody should be wasting their breath trying to help them, and I certainly wouldn't. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think Pretty Patel has got this one right. Um, and I'm sick to death of seeing these kind of legal procedures, uh, which are just that, just procedures, which are only going to delay the inevitable anyway. Bobby, listen, thanks a lot for talking to us. Bobby Friedman, uh, barrister and commentator, of course, on all manner of things, uh, good friend of this station, good friend of this show, a man that talks a lot of sense. But I don't agree with him on every single point he made today because I don't believe it makes any difference whether you came here when you were two, whether you came here when you were four, whether you came here when you were 24. Uh, if you come here from another country and you commit crime, I'm sorry, you can go back to when from whence you came. Thank you very much indeed. Cheerio. Good night. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Loads of you want to get on. Do call us because we are the place to get common sense heard. And if you've got a common sense view, uh, you will be heard. If you've got a view which is not particularly commonsensical, uh, we will try and put you right. 0344 499 1000. We are live streaming now on YouTube. Watch it, like it, subscribe to it uh, because you will have fun all through the day right here on Talk Radio and Talk Radio TV. Hang says, Mike, since when has the ability to access a lawyer depended on having access to a mobile phone? How did people manage before mobiles became commonplace? was a good question. Steve says, obey the laws of the land and you won't get deported. I fail to see any problem with this, or is it just me? Uh, and a couple of others say this. The facts are they are foreign national criminals, uh, foreign nationals and criminals who were sentenced to 12 months or more, says Hammer, uh, as the law states they have to be deported. Simple, really, as this is the law. It's not difficult, this, is it? Let's talk to Andrew Bridget, Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire. Andrew, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Now, I don't know if somebody's been putting something in Boris Johnson's coffee, um, but if he is, as we suspect he is, about to announce that HS2 is to go ahead at a cost of significantly more than £100 billion, there's a lot of people in this country who are not going to be very happy. Um, I'm, my, I'm one of them, and my constituents are another 100,000 of them, unfortunately. Right. Um, no, HS2... I predicted in 2013 that this, when the budget was 32 billion, yeah. that it was going to go to over 100 billion. I think even I didn't expect that it would happen in seven years. And now they want another 20 years. We're, we're supposed to expect that having trebled in seven, it's not going to help in another 20. Yeah, well, I was looking back at the, uh, at the, uh, the sort of the rundown of events, and it was 2009 when Lord Adonis first mooted this as an idea. And he said the first trains will be running in 2020. Well, guess what? It's 2020 now, and we're still 10 years away. Not a yard of track has been, uh, has been, uh, has been laid. We're about 12 billion into a project which I think, realistically now, you've got to expect to be well over £200 billion. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a monster. 
and you can't feed monsters, Mike. You've got to kill them, otherwise they uh, they eat you in the end. And no. I think this is a project that will come back to haunt Boris Johnson and uh, my government. Right. And what is the kind of uh, vested interest that he's playing to here? Because you think Boris Johnson was elected to be a man of the people. Uh, he's supposed to be paying back those people in the north of England who voted for him. I don't know anyone in the north of England uh, who is an ordinary individual who's in favour of HS2. They'd much rather see better infrastructure for their own local rail services. You know, who's he, who's he appeasing here? Well, I understand there's been a big lobby by uh, big businesses and engineering companies involved in the project who are claiming that it will uh, devastate the engineering uh, industry and cause job losses if the project doesn't go ahead now. The fact is, we've got lots of projects we could get on with. Um, and what we need is we need east-west communications mm. uh, and connectivity in the Midlands and the north to give critical mass to our Midlands and northern cities to uh, compete against the black hole is London that yeah. sucks in uh, money and talent and quite honestly the faster people can get to London the more it's going to draw out of the, the regions like mine the East Midlands mm, exactly right but also I mean all of the money they've already spent has been spent apparently on loads of consultants loads of people who are on six figure salaries I don't even know what they do all day lots of compulsory purchasing of houses I think even your house was compulsory purchase wasn't it it was, but they uh, they didn't give me what I'd paid for it five years before. Yeah. A lot less money. Right. They're, they're not paying the full price for the assets. Um, the way that HS2 treat the public when they come into contact with them is is disgraceful, quite honestly. Mm. Absolutely arrogant. Um, it runs the whole length of my constituency, and it's the thing that upsets people in North West the most, because we'll be taking all of the pain, none of the gain. And now, with the extended time scale. I mean, it was first announced the route in 2013. It'll be 27 years of blight before the project's completed yeah. if it goes ahead on schedule, which is unlikely, and we'll get no benefit from it whatsoever. And to add insult to injury, although my seat is the centre of population of the UK, we have no railway station within the constituency, and every time I ask government for £100 million to reopen the Ivanhoe line, they tell us we've got no money. Yeah. We, could, we could reopen the Ironhoe line for less than a thousand of the cost of HS2. It's incredible, isn't it? I was just talking to a guy from the Stop HS2 campaign who said that they managed to get Kenilworth Station reopened and not a million miles from where you are. Um, and they actually managed to get 170,000 passengers travelling from uh, that particular station in one year, thereby easing the congestion on the roads, you know, by a factor of about 10. So, I mean, it makes absolute sense to, to give you guys stations where they are needed. This idea that we're going to give an extra $5 billion over to uh, local bus services, to me, is an absolute joke, isn't it? It is a joke, and if you actually work it out, even the constituencies who aren't directly adversely affected by the route, their constituents are going to be paying, on current estimates, around about £163 million pounds for, uh, for uh, HS2. Imagine what that, could be, what, what that could deliver in that constituency yeah. as far as local infrastructure and transport is concerned. Now, there's plenty of you that are against it on the back benches of the Tory party, about 60, I understand. I mean, is there anything you can do here? Well, we have the power of the argument. Um, and quite honestly, I think the majority of the, the public are, are with us on this. And this isn't going to go away. This is going to be, if we're not careful, this is going to be an albatross around the government's neck. And I don't doubt Labour are going to vote for it. They love spending taxpayers' money irresponsibly. Mm. 
And this is going to give them a stick with which to beat this government for decades to come. Yeah, because it's always going to be behind a, a budget, uh, over budget rather, and, and behind its schedule. It's never going to be on time and it's never going to come in on cost. It's a, I, I find it incredible. I mean, there's supposed to be a cabinet meeting going on at the moment. Isn't there anyone in cabinet telling Boris Johnson what we're talking about here? People like Andrea Leadsom, who've always been against it, uh, will speak up for what I believe is a majority of the country who can see that this is very bad value for money. By the time it's completed, we'll have had driverless cars for probably more than a decade. <laughs> and people are saying, why are you doing this? Yeah, you know, and we'll be flying we'll... around in cars probably as well. Well, anything could have happened. But I mean, what you've actually got is this is the last chance, I think, realistically to stop the project and the best chance. And once it's through this gateway, uh, you watch the uh, you watch the budget spiral. Once they know that it can't be stopped, yeah. I mean, it's, it is unbelievable. It really is, Andrew. Listen, thanks a lot for your time, Andrew Bridging, Conservative MP for Northwest Leicestershire, uh, there, whose own home was on the line uh, that had to be compulsorily purchased. I mean, everybody who is anywhere near this HS2 project, who's not actually making money out of it, is against it. Let's talk to Paul, uh, who's up in Warrington. Hi, Paul. Oh, hi, Mike. Right. Yeah, very well, sir. What Please can you tell me? Thank you. What can yeah. you say? Um, yeah, I was going to say the HS2. I think it's a joke, you know. Yeah, it is. Who's it, it going to benefit? I think you know, it's like uh, the, the way like an um, insidious one through it or away because, you know, you're going to build something like you saying mm. and the guy before Joe was saying, the first, car, the first guy, yeah. he's trying to stop it. You build stuff like the build the line, different lines, like you say, different tracks. Yeah. But I mean, how, how, how good, I mean, for the, if you wanted to go, the, if you want to go from Warrington to Newcastle, yeah. for example, how do you get there? Yeah. What's I mean, yeah. You don't take the, you won't be able to take the HST, would you? Yeah. It's absolutely, you know I mean? it's ab um, absolutely you know, ridiculous. If I go to London as well, through all the lorries and the bicycle lanes, they're hardly used in the air. I know. I know, listen, this idea of building... Yeah, but he's not... I mean, do you, need, do you need a bus lane in Warrington? Do you need a bus lane uh, out, no, anywhere outside no. of, of, of a major city? Of course you not don't. Really. No, we don't need a bus lane, really. No. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's so stupid. I mean, you know, I, I find, like, the House of Lords... I bet, no, I bet HSC's not going through in the House of Lords houses, are they? No, I shouldn't think so. And Absolutely not. they taxi anyway for them to quit. <laughs> They've just given themselves a pay rise, Paul. Thank you very yeah, much yeah. for your call. Yeah, let's, how about this, right? Lords uh, have basically given themselves an inflation-busting pay rise, meaning they will now get 323 quid tax-free just for turning up for work. Now, it's not the fact that it's 323 quid. It's the fact that it's actually tax-free. They're getting a 3.1% pay hike, which means basically uh, with 150 sessions a year, you can make, as a Lord, 50,000 quid tax-free. That's the equivalent of making about 80,000 quid before tax. That's nice work if you can get it, isn't it? Unbelievable what's going on in this country. We need to fix it, and we need to fix it now. Apparently, all is not lost with HS2, and so maybe we need to start up a proper campaign to stop Boris Johnson spending all of our money. I want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000. Don't forget uh, to watch us on YouTube. We are live streaming. When you go there, like it, subscribe to it, watch it every day. We're there every day. This is Talk Radio. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, lots of you will be getting on the show today because I've never seen the phone lines quite as busy as this uh, for a very, very long time indeed. People are very worked up about HS2. People are very worked up about the foreign criminals. Now, I would imagine you might be getting quite worked up about facial recognition. Let's speak to Griff Ferris, legal and policy officer at Big Brother Watch UK. Griff, a very good morning to you. Good morning. So today, uh, we're getting a trial of facial recognition in Stratford. First of all, what does that even mean? Well, it's actually not a trial. This is an operational deployment of, of the technology. I, I can see about 20 to 30 officers standing around outside an unmarked van, which is outside Stratford, uh, Stratford, Stratford Station. Um, and they will be monitoring innocent Londoners, scanning them with the face recognition technology, potentially wrongly stopping people, as we've seen happen multiple times before. And, and this is basically, as far as they are concerned, part of what they call a proactive policing operation to focus on violent and other serious offences. How is that going to be the case? Well, I mean, they may say that, but in two previous deployments at Stratford, they didn't stop or arrest a single individual. Um, they stopped, uh, wrongly stopped innocent people, wrongly subjected them to stop and searches after they were misidentified by the cameras. But as yet, they haven't made a single arrest in two previous deployments. Right. So it's a really good question as to what they do think they are doing. Yeah. And how does it actually work physically? So you're there, I presume, sort of monitoring it, Griff. What, what are you actually seeing them doing? Are they holding some, some kind of device? Are they, are, uh, is it CCTV-based? How does it work? They are two CCTV cameras on top of a, uh, a, a police van, an unmarked police van. Um, scanning the crowds, walking out of the station and out of the Stratford Centre. And what the cameras do is they take a biometric map of people's faces in the same way that when you, uh, when you scan a fingerprint, that makes a unique biometric map of that fingerprint, except they're doing that to faces and then they're comparing those faces against police watch lists of wanted people. Right. Now, the last time you guys watched them do this, um, they actually had 100% misidentification. I mean, that, I'm afraid, even for a layman, doesn't sound very good. No, no, absolutely. And even generally, at other deployments, they've had 93% of mm. misidentification. This technology is incredibly inaccurate. Or not only inaccurate, it's also incredibly discriminatory with um, uh, tests of facial recognition software around the world showing that it misidentifies women and people of colour at much higher rates right. than white men. And why is that? Because, I mean, some of us now uh, have facial recognition phones, which seem to work reasonably well. You know, an app can recognise my face on my phone. Why can it not be as good as that? 
It's because the, um, the databases upon which these cameras are often trained include uh, photos mostly of, of, of men or of white people. And so when they train the software, it's just not as good at recognizing people who don't fit into those categories. Uh-huh. That's a problem with technology uh, in all areas, but particularly so with facial recognition software. Right. And how much money do you think they're spending on this particular project? And, 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 I mean, are they just using existing CCTV and then buying in the software or something? No. Well, we know that the Metropolitan Police alone has spent over a quarter of a million pounds just on the software and hardware, mm. whereas uh, police in South Wales have spent over two million. on. Uh, they've used it a lot more. They've used it about 50 to 60 times. Um, they've spent over two million in doing so. The figures we have for the Met don't include any of the internal testing, the cost of about, you know, 20 officers at each deployment. So there are huge costs involved for this technology. Right. Um, I mean, I've I've heard advocates... I've heard advocates of it in the past, Griff, talking uh, on talk radio, in fact, or or other radio stations, about how useful this this technology can be and how, for example, they always use the example of, say, a paedophile. If a paedophile is walking through um, a shopping centre with a young child, a seven- or eight-year-old child... Um, this technology could pick them up and prevent them from doing harm to that child, which, of course, sounds great in theory. Um, I'm not quite sure if they've got any cases where that's actually happened. No, they don't. There, there's none, of the, none of those examples have actually happened in practice, despite them using this technology right. um, uh, since 2016. And more, I mean, more importantly, would you really put your trust in a technology that misidentifies people over 90% of the time? Well, I wouldn't, to be honest. I mean, I find that hard to... I find it I find it hard to believe that there isn't someone inside the police organisation saying, you know, we need to stop using this stuff until it gets more reliable. People have said that. Uh, people in Parliament, the Science and Technology Committee, which includes cross-party MPs, have said so. Human rights groups have said so. Just today, the Scottish Parliament published a report that said Police Scotland will not be using live facial recognition technology because it's too inaccurate, it's discriminatory, and it fringes people's fundamental rights. And yet the police have disregarded all of this and are pressing ahead. Okay. And what about the rights of an individual who might be listening to this now on his way to Stratford? I mean, according to Liberty, you are allowed to cover your face to avoid the cameras, but presumably if you do that, uh, you're likely to get stopped by the police. Well, the police have no powers to force people to walk past the cameras or to show their faces Mm. to the cameras. Unfortunately, as you say, we've seen people be wrongly stopped for covering their faces or wrongly stopped for avoiding the cameras. Um, A a man in Romford was fined £90 after he was stopped by police uh, unlawfully um, and he got angry at them. So we've seen, you know, quite aggressive over-policing by the police on a number of occasions, Mm. and yet still they're allowed to carry on with it. Yeah, it seems remarkable, doesn't it? Um, Surely the government could take a a step towards this and and say to the police, you know, you can't, we don't have confidence in your ability to use this technology um, at the moment and with its current rate of error. So please do not use it until such time as those errors have been eradicated, at least bring it down to 20% or something. Well, absolutely. We think that, um, that that is that is exactly what should happen. And yet the government has passed over this a number of times, saying that it's an operational matter for the police, allowing the police to effectively provide their own oversight over this. Yeah, it really is remarkable. And so, I mean, presumably, um, if they're going to continue to do this and they're still going to get the same results, i.e. no results whatsoever, somebody's going to pull them up on the money, aren't they? Well, I hope so. We've, we've published those, those figures around the quarter of a million pounds they uh, spent just on the software and the hardware. 
but they're still going ahead with it. Um, Sadiq Khan has given the green light to this technology, which we're incredibly disappointed to see um, when there's such clear concerns over the cost, over the ineffectiveness, over the discrimination. Um, and we'd absolutely hope that someone with the power to, to take action will do so soon. Yeah, well, we can but hope, I suppose. Um, and has every uh, sort of police force in the country got this? No, uh, there's a number of police forces who are using it. That includes the Metropolitan Police and South Wales Police. Other police forces have trialled it in the past, but as yet, uh, those are the only two forces who are using it on a regular basis. And also, I suppose if you are a criminal uh, and you know that they're doing this in Stratford today, you're, not, you're basically going to stay away, aren't you? Uh, that, yes, that, that could be the case. I mean, legally, they have to tell people as an overt surveillance technology that they are using it. Um, and even, even then, many people will be completely unaware, walking out of the train station, doing their shopping, um, going about their daily lives. You know, that's thousands of innocent Londoners who will be scanned by this surveillance technology. And what happens if you are, if you are stopped? What rights do you have as an individual uh, if, you get pulled, if you get pulled wrongly by the police? Uh, well, at the moment, they're operating in a completely lawless space. So whilst people do have rights, they do have the right to not walk past the cameras, to, to, to not show their faces to the cameras. The police are acting quite, you know, lawlessly in stopping people and asking them to uncover their faces and um, treating people as suspicious when they avoid the cameras. So, you know, it, it's an incredibly, you know, dangerous uh, space that the police are operating in where people's rights are being completely disregarded. OK. Griff, thanks very much indeed for your time. Griff Ferris there from uh, Big Brother Watch. He's legal and policy officer. Uh, if you're in Stratford, you are likely to be being filmed as we speak by the police. However, uh, you're unlikely to be stopped by the police because unless they think you're somebody else, you're probably not going to be of any interest to them because so far, in all of the various trials that they have used this technology on, uh, they haven't managed to arrest anyone. They haven't managed to get hold of anyone who was a criminal. They haven't managed to stop anyone from committing a crime uh, because they have got it so wrong. 100% misidentification. That means, for those of you who are not very good at mathematics, that not one of the people they identified was who they said they were as far as the system was concerned. They got it all wrong, completely wrong, all of it. 0344-499-1000. Even if you don't care about your own liberty or the liberty of others, it's a complete and utter waste of public money. If it doesn't work, ditch it, surely, to God. Watch us on YouTube, like us on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube right now. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, as we predicted, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, looks as though he is going to give the green light to HS2. He is currently in the House of Commons telling us how he's going to do it. Let's have a listen. Of new investment in buses and bicycles. An investment, an investment that will mean bus passengers across the country seeing a dramatic improvement in their daily journeys. More than 4,000 brand new buses on the road. Zero carbon British built buses on the roads of places like Ashfield, Barnstable, Southampton, Manchester, many more towns and cities besides. More services, including in the evenings and weekends. Simpler, cheaper and more convenient ticketing. Properly designed, properly designed priority schemes to speed passengers past the traffic jams. And it's an investment that will also mean cyclists enjoying hundreds of miles 
of brand new separated lanes with, with mini Hollands blooming like so many tulips in towns and cities right across the country. And that £5 billion, Mr Speaker, is just the start. My very good friend, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, will be making a full announcement in this, week's, uh, this month's budget, and I have no desire to steal his thunder. But I can signal today that we are taking forward transformative investments, uh, improvements from Cornwall to the A1 north of Newcastle, from South Salisbury to South Ribble, uh, from Cheadle to Chiverton, dual carriageways, roundabouts, bypasses, underpasses, and those are just the roads. We have already set out plans to explore new investments in the rail network across the north, developing proposals to reopen the Fleetwood Line in Lancashire and the Ashington Blythe Rail Line in the north east, improving track and platform capacity at Middlesbrough Station, installing new, new signalling installing new signalling at Harrogate, one of North Yorkshire's busiest uh, stations, and further south I can today announce that we will be upgrading the Bristol East Junction, a major pinpoint, pinch point in the rail network of the South East, uh, the South West, that limits access to the Brunel-designed Victorian splendour of Bristol Temple Meads Station. Mr Speaker, uh, the transport revolution is local, because it must be local. We can unite and level up across the country with fantastic local improvements. Better rail, less congested roads, beautiful British-built buses, cleaner, greener, quieter, safer, more frequent. And above all, we can improve the quality of life for people and improve their productivity. We make, I've make never heard so much rubbish in all my life. Dear God. Boris Johnson says five billion is just the beginning. He's right, because he's got another 95 billion to go before he's spent money to build HS2. Absolutely unbelievable. I'm glad to say uh, I'm in the company of a lawyer as I say this, because Jonathan Radcliffe has joined us, partner at Reed Smith, member of the Law Society. Uh, Jonathan, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Yeah, Mike, hi. Thank you very much for coming in. Now, you weren't coming in to critique Boris Johnson and the HS2, um, but I'm going to use the word that I like to use the most about people, uh, because today we are filming it, Plank of the Week. Uh, I think I might, may have to put Boris Johnson on the list. I mean, what's he talking about? Tulips? He's talking about the beautiful Victorian splendour of Bristol Temple Mead Station? I mean, people can't get a bus from York to anywhere outside of York after six o'clock at night. So no, nobody's taking buses. The idea that he's going to build a load of buses and they're all going to be English and green and lovely mm. is madness, isn't it? I think that's right. Um, although the segue from that piece to this is uh, Brunel. Brunel, the great Victorian inventor of, of yeah. the railway, uh, the, the, the Brunel ship and the famous bridge just north of Paddington Station that's been rediscovered, having been lost for many years. The Victorians were fantastic at railways. They were. I mean, the Brunel t uh, Tunnel, which goes under the Thames, um, was the result of, of, of something like 115 men dying to build it. You know, and it's still there, still being used by cars. And the Brunel Museum there as well, in, in sort of East London, is a remarkable place. But, you know, I mean, we don't, you know, even if you went along with the buses and the bicycles that he wants to make available to people, you know, why does he need to spend an extra £106 billion for a train service that won't be ready before I die, effectively? Perhaps he's hoping for new inventions. <laughs> Perhaps he is, and I see what you did there, because you're here to talk about inventions. Jonathan Radcliffe uh, from the Law Society, because it is Inventor's Day today, right? Now, what is Inventor's Day exactly? So this is an American thing, and it is one of the days that has been set up specifically, both to encourage people and to remind us, frankly, of the huge advances we've all made 
uh, over the past few years, yeah. and indeed over the last century or so. Because, I mean, you do get the impression sometimes that we've sort of invented everything there is to invent, but I guess that's not necessarily true because there are patents being issued, I presume, constantly, all the time. Oh, thousands, yeah. thousands and thousands. Right. In fact, uh, I was only just the other day being told by somebody um, about Greta Thunberg, who apparently has trademarked her own name, uh, in order to make a bucket load of money out of anything that in involves her uh, name being used. Uh, yes, absolutely. And so who invented Greta Thunberg, would be my question. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so tell us about some of the things that have been invented recently, then. OK, so I um, would like to pick out four or five really cool 2019 inventions. Okay. Um, so these are, in, in no particular order, a thing called the Padrona Ring, which is a kind of mouse that sits in what looks like a piece of costume during your finger, and uh -huh. you just tap and scroll your finger on any surface, right. and it replaces your mouse. It's very, very cool. Oh, wow. So was it on your sort of fingertip then, you mean? No, you wear it as a ring around, oh, around your finger, right, right up to your knuckle. Okay. Um, so it looks like a piece of costume jewellery, but right. as you just scroll and, and mm. tap with it, it operates exactly like a mouse. So it's very intuitive. That is interesting. I've never seen that. Can you buy them? You can buy them. Wow. Okay, I should look out for that. Well, that's good. It's on YouTube, a very good okay. video, actually. Excellent. <laughs> I, shall, I shall check that out. I was actually quite impressed with the people that invented the, uh, the glove where you can still operate an iPhone. Without, oh, I think that's all technology. Without now, having it? to... Uh, no, but this is without having to take... You, it's, it's not the bit that you peel. It's an actual little circle on the end of the, of the glove. So your fingers remain warm, but it somehow operates the, uh, the iPhone. And I don't know how that works, actually, because I'm quite baffled by stuff like that. I think it is to do with making sure that it reads it as a fingertip. Yeah. And so it has the, the tactile... Uh, interactions yeah. you'd expect to make your smartphone sure. work. Yeah, I mean it's very clever though. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I mean the world is coming up with the most amazing things. And is that where most of the kind of inventing is going on in new technology? I think it's it's primarily technology focused at the moment. In in terms of things that will obviously impact our everyday lives, mm. yes, there's a great deal of stuff around tech. But it's also moving into lifestyle as well. So things like um, plant substitute meat burgers yes. that, that char and actually mimic bleeding and when bleed, you cook yeah. them. See, this to me is a very bizarre development. I mean, if I was wishing to go vegan, uh, which is not very likely to be the case, um, I wouldn't go vegan in order to replicate blood coming out of a hamburger, because I don't particularly like blood coming out of a hamburger anyway. You know, I prefer it to be slightly well, more well done than that. I don't understand why anybody wants to replicate the meat as, a sort of a, as, a, as an experience, as it were, without it being meat. It makes no sense to me. Uh, that's an interesting juxtaposition of morals, ethics and primitive nature. That's my life. I mean, that is literally <laughs> me in a nutshell. <laughs> but, I mean, it's obviously a great market, so I, mean, I suppose it's very clever to invent something that does do that because there will be many people who, who want to have that experience. Yeah, Linda McCartney does a pulled pork burger, which uh -huh. I have to say is delicious. I had one on Sunday night. Yeah, I've, funnily enough, I've eaten something like that. Somebody sent us a load of vegan food once and it was a pulled pork wrap and I thought, well, it does taste just like pulled pork, but, you mm. know... Why, why wouldn't I then just have pulled pork? Exactly. Well, I think, I think maybe the, um, the, the last outbreak of swine flu in China has yeah. driven supply into difficulties. Has it? Yes, oh, okay. very much so. I see, I'm immune to all that. I haven't got the coronavirus yet either. So, <laughs> uh, so tell us about one more. OK, um, one more. So, and I think people have seen these already, um, most of your listeners, flexible laptops as well as flexible smartphones. So oh, you yeah. can fold them up and put them in your pocket. Uh-huh. I saw that there was, for a while, there was, there was somebody marketing a sort of a bendy television, which you could put on your lap in, in bed. That's exactly the invention. Is that the same, That's exactly the same, same thing. kind of thing? Yeah, same thing. Now, I mean, personally, would you want one that um, possibly may develop... 
um, folding issues. I would be concerned. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're I very mean, cool. I think they're very. I cool. suppose so. I mean, it's. I mean, it's something for somebody that's got everything, really, isn't it? I mean, it's like, what, what can I get now? I know. Uh, in addition to all the various different machines that I have, I worked out. I think the other day that I've got something like eight different Apple products, right? Because the, you tend to have like I've got the the phone that I've got. I've got a second phone. I've got an old phone yeah. that I use as a, as a sort of iPod. I've got an iMac. I've got a laptop. I've got a. Uh, um, I've got the head for the ear, ear the part, the AirPods, AirPods, yeah, and I've got uh, an iPad. So that's seven. I think I think you're about the national average. I think everyone's got Apple products <laughs> in their drawers. I feel like they should be paying me, you know. So tell us, if you were to, because I've always been fascinated by, you know, what if you had invented something like the wheelie bin, for example, which now every council insists that everybody has one of, or possibly three of, mm-hmm. sometimes four. Mm-hmm. You'd be an absolute millionaire just overnight, wouldn't you? So if yeah, somebody, if somebody's sitting around at home thinking. I'm never going to invent something like that. I'm not that clever. But you do, somehow something comes to you. How easy is it to actually, one, call it an invention and two, get it registered somewhere? Okay, so so just a quick, um, in parenthesis, the the man who made his first invention with a, sorry, his first fortune with a very similar invention was James Dyson, mm. who famously produced um, a wheelbarrow for, for use on the garden allotments that had a great big round inflatable ball-shaped oh, that wheel. That was his, and that's, and that's where that. he made his, his first fortune. Wow, I had no idea that was Dyson. Now, of course, he can sell, he's got something called, I saw it advertised the other day, um, a hair styling thing that looks like a pen, but it's 450 quid. I and think that's his son, but they're all together. They're, yeah, they're in oh, together. Right. And yeah, I also, I've, I've, I've seen the hair, I've, seen a, I've used the hairdryer, which my son was very taken with and wants one. I'm like, you're not getting one, it's too expensive. 400 pounds. Yeah, 400 quid. I mean, yeah. everything's about yeah. 400 quid. And I mean, I guess if you've got that kind of money, great, but it's a lot of money for a hairdryer. They are, there, there are hundreds of patents surrounding his products. Right. And famously, the adverts that they produce in-house um, down in Wiltshire will tell you that yeah, the, the, the Dyson vacuum cleaner has 130-odd mm. patents. It's and fantastic. does that prevent somebody from sort of basically just ripping it off? I mean, what if you invented a similar um, sort of fan effect, you know, so the big, the big hole fan, which doesn't appear to be a fan at all, it's just a, sort of a big zero... Could you, inv- could you produce something like that somehow that was different enough that you would be allowed under the law or not? Uh, yes and no. Typical lawyer's answer. Um, if it, without meaning to, even without meaning to, uh, incorporates exactly the same technology in the same way mm. that the patent protects it, then the answer is no, you can't. Okay. But if you come up with something that produces a similar effect but through an entirely different design route, then that's fine. Right. And presumably if you do think you've invented something, your first port of call should be a lawyer so that you can get it uh, sorted out. A lawyer or... Not that pa- I generally recommend lawyers to anybody. For no, anything. no, in fact, um, a patent attorney <laughs> would probably be a safer first port of call for this kind of thing. OK, and is there a lot of patent attorneys around? Are they easy to find? Uh, yes, the Chartered Institute of Patent Agents. So sepa.org is the place to look. You will find lists of patent agents in your area. Um, there are probably several thousand across the country. Okay. And, I mean, is it the case that these are all worldwide patents, or can you just get a patent sort of for your own country, as it were? You can go both. Um, patents, uh, because they are property rights, are issued country by country, and you also have, for example, in Europe, mm. you have regionally granted that covers the whole of Europe okay. patents as well. Okay, so as long as we're still in Europe, in the transition period, I can barely say it. Okay, um, not, does it matter when once we've left at the end of December? Okay, I thought there might be a loaded Brexit question coming up, so expressing no Luckily views... there hasn't been. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, patents, fortunately, um, there is no effect whatsoever because of Brexit, 
Brexit because, little known fact, the European Patent Office and the European Patent Convention is nothing to do with the European Union. Excellent. Even the European Parliament confused that. That's really good, isn't it? So, once again, nothing changes. Brilliant to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Can I patent the word plank? Uh, no, you can't, but you could think about trademarking it. Ah, OK. Maybe I should do that. Can you well, help I think, me with that? I think you should. Um, so I would say that the word plank, as in plank of the week, yeah. so shout out to plank of the week show, mm. Mike Graham, uh, that is, I would call it, a distinctive use of the word with the extra of the week, but the week is the key bit. Yes. And for telecommunications services, mm. I think that's distinctive. And if you had a logo as well, so you could sell T-shirts yeah. and mugs yeah, and things like that. Yeah, what a like good that, idea. That'd be even better. I you think we're going to have to co-opt you onto the board. Very you well make done. A fortune. Yeah, well, that's what I'm doing. Jonathan Radcliffe, thank you very much indeed. If you've invented anything, do let us know. We won't steal the idea. We'll just put you in touch with Jonathan and he'll sort it all out for you. Uh, this is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Watch us on YouTube, like it, subscribe to it. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. 